Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay. Well, I'm Dave. Um, I've come over from, uh, from Gateway in Leeds. Um, and you can uh, see from my slides I've got some uh, interesting things to talk about. <laughs> so just to uh, help, you, help you engage with the, the topic, what, when you see, see the pictures of these men, Hitler, Bin Laden, Stalin, what, um, what words come to mind? Evil. Oppression. Oppression, yeah. Maybe facial hair. No offence, Owen. <laughs> um, but these are renowned men, these world famous figures, basically renowned for all these things, um, for just not being very nice, effectively. Um, and I want to look at a guy in a similar vein. Um, Ahab, who you find in uh, in First Kings, um, who I've labelled the worst king who ever lived, and certainly at the point where uh, where he came along, the Bible tells us Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And if that's not enough, it goes on to say he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So he wasn't just bad, he was, if you took all of the bad people before him and put them together, he was worse than him, worse than all of them. A bit like in a, uh, in a movie where they need a new ultra-villain, and each villain gets worse than the next. This is the, uh, the ultra-villain. Um, and just in case we've missed the point, the Bible tells us again, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So, not a nice guy. Fits quite neatly into that mould of the people we saw before, Hitler, Stalin. If, you, if people of the time saw a picture of Ahab, they'd have a similar, a similar reaction. Oh, yeah. um, and before we go and actually look at how God deals with Ahab, I want to think about... How do you discipline a child? This is uh, Malcolm in the Middle, which I recommend if you've never seen it. Um, Suppose you've got a a kid, and I don't know what they... They've done something awful. They need need to be put right. They've set fire to your cat, or um, broke your... Smashed your TV up, or something. I want to give you uh, two options. Which of these is is the good parents? Is it option A, where the, the parent says, right, well, they need, uh, they can't get away with that, so what we're going to do, she goes in, takes the plug from the TV and opens it up, and cunningly disconnects some of the wires, seals it back up again, all this while the, while the kid's asleep, so that when the kid comes the next morning to watch TV, it doesn't work. And they leave that for two weeks. This kid's got no TV for two weeks. And then again, when the kid's asleep, the parent sneaks back, puts it back together and puts it in again. That's their punishment. No TV for two weeks. 
Or is it option B where the parent says to the child, that's not on. You must learn not to set fire to cats. <laughs> no TV for two weeks, I'm taking it away. And after two weeks they take it back. Now which of those, uh, is it option A or option B? Which is the good parent? The second one. Why is that? Yeah, exactly. There's an explanation, there's a, there's a reasoning behind it. It's um, one's revenge and the other's discipline. One's just bitter, I'll have no TV, the little scoundrel. The other is, look, you need to learn this. <clears throat> and that's what we see <clears throat> with Ahab. As you might expect, the worst king who ever lived, um, it was necessary for God to, to give him some discipline. Um, and he sent uh, Elijah, the Tishabite from Tishabi, um, in Gilead. Um, and he said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So, it's not no TV, it's actually no rain. Which is a, a severe, severe thing to happen. Um, but God sends a prophet to him to explain what's happening. Um, it says in Hebrews the Lord disciplines those he loves so this is very much it's not the parent going in and slyly altering the TV in revenge this is the parent who says look I'm doing this you need to learn a lesson here but God doesn't, doesn't forget Ahab and you get, you get a glimpse from this as well of just the atmosphere of, of terror of fear that people were in in his kingdom. Um, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, and while Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife, was killing off the Lord's prophets. Ahab had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. So Ahab was going around looking for anyone vaguely connected with God and slaughtering them. Um, he wasn't a nice guy. Obadiah, who worked for Ahab, was taking a few of these guys and managing to save them. Of managing to, to hide them away in a cave where they can, uh, where they can go unnoticed. And Obadiah arrives and Elijah says to him, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. But Obadiah is so scared of Ahab, he says, What have I done wrong? That you're, handling your, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. So Obadiah is so terrified of Ahab that Elijah coming and saying, tell him to meet me here, is making him scared of death. 
Because if they take a wrong turn, if Elijah goes somewhere else and Ahab comes, he's such a tyrant that he'll kill him. Obadiah is in no doubt. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. So you're starting to get this impression that living in Ahab's kingdom probably wasn't, wasn't that much fun. wasn't the best place to live. But God's not forgotten Ahab. And we have a, an amazing, amazing confrontation. In uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 19, we have the kind of thing that I think I'd like to happen when I witness to my friends. Where you go, tell you what, we'll do a test and find out if God's real or if your way works. And Elijah speaks to King Ahab and he says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So there's 950 prophets um, on the one side. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of people, I think, if 950 people arrived... You'd be, you'd be quite intimidated. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophet, prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. So they've got some normal wood for their altar. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he's God. Seems fair enough. And all the people said, what you say is good. Um... And the prophets of Baal spend all morning. It says they called on the name of, of Baal from morning till noon. Oh Baal, answer us. And they, answer, um, they shouted, but there was no response. And they danced, and it talks about them cussing themselves, and 950 people all screaming. It, it must have been quite a, an intimidating sight. And they spend all morning. And what happens? no fire, nothing happens and on the other side we have Elijah, one prophet the odds seem stacked against him in verse 30 it says then Elijah said to all the people come here to me they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descendant from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold um, two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid, it on, and laid it onto the wood. And then he says to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and onto the wood 
I picture him as, I don't know, a bit of a drama queen almost in this. There's these 950 of them and they've all been shouting and making this big racket and he says, right, well, come, come and watch me slowly build this. And he says, now, get a load of water and pour it on it. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Very wet. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. didn't spend long and what happens then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood and stones and soil and also licked up the water in the trench so the fire was so hot that it burnt the water and the stones so you've got the you can see the, uh, the table if you're in Ahab's position you're thinking okay well didn't seem to do that well God seemed to do fairly well um, which must have been amazing to see to just have it spelt out before you so clearly God's real God works who, who brought the fire and if that's not enough as Elijah had said to him rain came as well as though this one demonstration wasn't enough for, Bar- for Ahab to say okay I think I think God's real. It rains. It's not rained for three years and it rains. Now this is the point where you'd think anyone in his right mind would, would probably start to follow God at this point. But Ahab doesn't. Um, carries on trying to slaughter anyone connected with God. Just doesn't respond. And God's made such a big gesture. It's like uh, you'd think, okay, God, you've, you've done enough. I just don't think Ahab wants to follow you. It's like some, if you imagine some guy who's been chasing, a, chasing the same girl relentlessly and he decides he's just not made a big enough gesture. So he, uh, he rents a castle in Scotland, a big one, a proper castle. Um, and he gets, gets a, a favourite band, say, U2. Um, and he, he hires them to come and do a, a private gig and they're so caught up in it that they write a song especially for, especially for her about this event and, uh, and while they're playing it the red arrows are writing her name in the sky and at the end of the day she, she turns to him and says I'm just not sure just, I just don't think you're romantic enough <laughs> that's the point where you, you know a good mate saying to him, she doesn't like you. But you might want to cut your losses at this point. I think this is what I would be saying to God at this point. Look, you've, you've shown Ahab who you are. You've done this amazing demonstration. I don't think he likes you. I'm not convinced he's going to come on the next Alpha course. 
Just, just not sure. This is where, this is where I would give up. But God doesn't have the same standards as us, thankfully. And he continues to pursue Ahab. And there are two separate incidents over the next few years where there's a battle. Um, and they're, they're camp, encamped, ready to go to war. It starts, Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ahab's ignored God, and God's sending a prophet going, Hi, do you want me to help you win a war? Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. And it happens again. The, the people they've defeated have decided that they beat them uh, because they beat them in the hills. And they're very superstitious about gods of different regions. Um, so again, in a later battle, it says, The man of God came up and told the king of Israel, This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think the Lord is a god of the hills and not a god of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. You see, get a glimpse of God's heart here. He's so passionate for Ahab to know him, to know that he is the Lord. And looking at Ahab is just so challenging to me in where, where I give up, where I've invited someone along to Alpha. They said no. I invited them again. They said no. It's all a bit awkward. Maybe we won't mention it again. Now this is the worst king who ever lived. And God just keeps chasing him. Do you want, do you want to win a battle? This is like you guy who's done the castle in Scotland. He just keeps turning up. Can I get you any shopping? You're like, leave her. She doesn't like you. And it's so, it's so easy for us to put our standards onto God and to say, I... This is a lost cause. I've given up. But has God given up? What's, he, what's God trying to show us? God gives as big a section on Ahab as he does to King Solomon. In, in First Kings you've got this run, one of these confusing books where there's all these different kings in very short bits. And God singles out Solomon. Interesting guy. You can see why they picked him out. And Ahab, the worst king ever. Um, I don't think that's so that we can uh, follow Ahab's example. I think it's so we can see God's character. God picked him out and said, look, look at how I'm pursuing him. It reminds me of uh, a kind of teenage infatuation almost. Suppose this is, this is Bob. This is Bob's house. And he likes Jen, who lives here. And Bob's school is here. So each morning when Bob gets on his bike and rides to school, what route do you think he takes? <laughs> it's a little embarrassing. You can imagine Bob, like his mates finding out, and really just ribbing him something, something shocking. And this is, what I, this is what I see when I see God chasing Ahab. 
Ahab's just in this battle completely ignoring God God's shown him who he is again and again and God keeps coming back do you want I'll help you win a battle and then you'll know that I'm the Lord he's so he's so passionate for Ahab to know him that he's he's chasing him he's pursuing him and isn't it great that God pursues us isn't it great that God doesn't give up at the point where I give up isn't it a good job I'm not God <laughs> it's it, it, it just astonishes me every time I look at Ahab and you get to a point where because Ahab is king God has to do something he's given him chance after chance after chance after chance and he sends another prophet he says because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord I'm going to bring disaster on you I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel slave or free dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city and the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country God, uh, God is a holy God and he has reached a point with Ahab um, where he's, Ahab's not listening and he's not listening and he's not listening um, and God has to make him listen has to do everything he can to make him listen and I think the writer of 1 Kings is as amazed as I am because he just puts a reminder here there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord urged on by Jezebel his wife who became, behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel I think the reason he put that there is because he was he's trying to emphasize the shock of what happens next go straight on when Ahab heard these words he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and fasted he lay in sackcloth and went around meekly fair enough God comes to you and says I'm going to kill you that might make you listen that might make you suddenly respond you might not think suppose uh, suppose uh, uh, a mother has uh, a son who's a, he's a real mess he's, he's a drug addict and he keeps stealing from her and she's given him chance after chance and every time he, she lets him back in and he steals from her again and again and again um, and next time she gets a gun and says you've got to behave yourself he goes yes 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 I am it's not the most sincere thing is it it's not the most moving response God tells Ahab I'm going to kill you I'm going to wipe you out so he tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and goes around meekly and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah this is the prophet have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself I will not bring this disaster in his day but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son can you imagine being Ahab I mean being Elijah and hearing those words God says to him have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me can you just see Elijah going you're not falling for that one are you like do you, do you remember how he, he keeps trying to kill me do you remember all those other prophets who he killed them all? Do you remember how he ignored you again and again and again and again and again and again? 
He, he embarrassed you. He publicly rejected you. And you say you're going to kill him, and he humbles himself. Of course he does. I mean, I think I'd be incredulous in Elijah's position. But again, God's not like me. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? He's, he's so passionate for Ahab to know him that this one gesture under the threat of death he puts on sackcloth and God jumps on it to show mercy. He's so, so quick to show mercy. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? And it, it's such a small thing, really. He puts on some sackcloth and he goes, oh, don't kill me. This is God. And he's, he's moved by this, this little incident. It's just a, another insight into God's character. I believe he's up there going, oh, have you noticed how those guys in Doncaster, some of them came early and put out chairs. Just a tiny, tiny little thing, but God, there's a side to God that's big and scary and just, and there's a side to God that's just so quick to show his love when we make the slightest, slightest movement towards him. And this is this isn't this is a, a glimpse of God's character. None of us are king of Israel. And you can't directly say, Oh, this is exactly what will happen to me. He's helped me win one battle and now another, but gives us a glimpse of God's character. And he's pursuing you. Or he's pursued you, or he's still pursuing you. It says in one John, this is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. It wasn't me who went round going, God, I want to follow you. Where are you? It wasn't me who went, oh, I noticed that I'm a sinner. Have you thought of any kind of rescue plan for me? It was God who first loved me. This is, this is how we know what love is, that God loved us. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, that's the, the unchanged sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. This God that we see just running after Ahab, just looking for a way in, is exactly the same God who sent Jesus when, to a people who put him to death. He's pursuing us. <clears throat> and he continues to pursue us. It says in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's not just pursuing us to grab us, get us in his gang, and then leave us. He's both the author and perfecter of our faith. He's pursuing us for such great things that he can't just see us saved and leave us there. He wants us, he wants to perfect us. He wants to keep on pursuing us. So 
I want to just bring a, a challenge in what we've seen in, in God's character in the way he pursues Ahab. And what these verses tell us about the way he pursues us is what have you given up on? Or what, what do you struggle to really believe can happen? How have you placed your mind onto God and said, oh well, that's not going to happen now. I think we've, I think we've given up on that one. In your, in your dreams, do you have dreams that you've held and just not seen, seen happen? Do you have areas of sin in your life that you just keep going back to? That you just keep going back to? That you've almost just given up on really thinking that that's something that you don't have to go back to? And my question is, has God given up on that? What's the answer? Has God given up on that? No. no. This, is, this is why we can keep on looking for things to happen. This is why, I mean, it must be, it must be hard at time. I've not done a church plant, but it must be hard at time um, thinking, oh, I wish there were another hundred people. <laughs> and then someone else could do this sometimes. And There must be big challenges in... Uh, in seeing a city the side of Doncaster and there must be times when Satan's there going nah he tried that it didn't work but has God given up this is this is why there's there's so many promises in so many different areas and you look at them and you think I can't even understand all of those never mind attempt to see all those happen in my life or in my church but it's God who's pursuing us. It's God who's pursuing Doncaster. It's God who's pursuing holiness in our lives. It's God who's pursuing um, joy in our lives. He wants us to know him. And, and if you ever, 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 ever think, oh, I think I've messed up on that one too many times. Ahab was the worst king who ever lived, who did more to anger the Lord than all of the kings before him. You'd have to slaughter a lot of churches to be comparable. And God singles him out to show how he's pursuing him. If, you, if you've got any doubts, if you, if you don't know God, or if you're not sure, if you're not sure what, what happens, then let me just tell you, God's pursuing you. Whether you're worthy of it, well, you, you're not. Ahab wasn't. And God's holy and we're not. But God's pursuing us. And he's not just pursuing us. He's not just pursuing the people in this room. In 1 Timothy it says, God our Saviour wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And you can, those of you who like to, like to read your theological books and delve and look at the Greek and all that, you can get really caught up in predestination and who's God chosen and it can be a distraction in that we see Ahab, he makes this response, what, I haven't even gone on to the facts, that he turns away from God again, he makes this little token gesture, oh don't kill me don't kill me, you're not going to kill me, right, nice one and he's off again he doesn't appear to turn to God but God's chasing him and, and how much of an encouragement is that in, in your workplace, in your, with your friends, that the people who just seem, they're impossible, 
they're so cynical, they've never showed any interest, that God is pursuing them. That he's looking for ways in and that he's so eager just to jump in and have mercy on them. Just like he jumped in with, with, uh, with Ahab. Oh, have you noticed how these people are coming to Alpha? Oh, I'm going to carry on pursuing them. I'm going to try and grab them. I'm gonna, oh, he wants us to know that he is the Lord. So that's my, that's my, uh, just my encouragement to you, I guess. That God's pursuing you. That God's pursuing across every area. If, you, if, you, if you'd like more musicians here, so would God. God's passionate about your worship here. If you think, oh, where are we going to get people who can do this or people who can do that? God's more passionate about your church than you are. He's, he's pursuing just in, in every area. Yeah, I just want to pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the, uh, just the, the amazing grace you've shown to us in pursuing us, Lord. Lord, just for the, the encouragement of seeing how you, how you chased Ahab, Lord, when he, when he was so obviously against you. Lord, I just want to pray that where, where we can get disheartened or where we can, where we can place our standards onto you, Lord, that you'll open our eyes to just who you are. That you are a relentlessly pursuing, loving God. Lord, that where, where people have got hardened to expecting to see their friends saved, Lord, through disappointment, Lord, will you, will you break that? Lord? Will, you, will you just show us how much you're pursuing those around us? How much you're pursuing the city of Doncaster? Lord, when... When things are, are challenging in a church plant, Lord, will you just give a, a fresh revelation of just your heart, Lord, that it's you who wants to see Doncaster saved, Lord. Lord, whether where there are dreams that we've put down, Lord, will you, will you awaken those, will you refresh us, will you give us new energy? Lord, where there, where there are things we keep going back to, the same traps we keep falling into, Lord, will you remind us that you are the author and perfecter of our faith and that you are pursuing holiness in our lives, Lord. Lord, where we, where we struggle in our prayer times alone to meet with you, Lord, will you remind us just how much you want to meet with us, just how much you want to give us your joy and your peace, Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.